0: forgiveness the pathway to freedom. Uh, I want you to prepare your heart tonight to hear, not just your ears but your heart. I want you to hear from a deeper place tonight Um, because we're dealing with a topic that is touchy, it's sensitive, um, it requires sympathy, empathy It requires wisdom, requires ultimately the Holy Spirit when you're dealing with the topic of forgiveness, when you're dealing with the obstacle of freedom. Freedom often to the wounded looks like a maze. How do I ever get there? I don't know which way to turn, which way to go, which door to open, which door to close, which relationship to trust, which relationship not to trust. Uh, freedom embodies so many different things. And so tonight I'm going to just deal with a couple. I'm not going to be that person that gives you a three-point sermon to freedom because I believe there's probably about 3,000 points to freedom. But I'm going to give you what the Holy Spirit gave me, and I pray that it helps you in your journey. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 29 tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. This is really, really important. How many remember in the book of Revelation that the first church that was described in the seven church, uh, the seven church epistle, the church of Ephesus was the number one church. And the rebuke was that, first of all, he started out with a compliment, but then the rebuke came. How many know when you fellowship with the Spirit? He usually starts with a good thing. Only to lead you up to what he needs to bring correction to. Come on now. Um, I can testify not only has the father done that to me, but I can tell you that he is sensitive to what pains us. He's not just trying to throw compliments out there just so he can get you feeling good about yourself and then surprise you with the killer blow. He's doing it is because he's in love with you and he doesn't want to hurt you. And sometimes correction can seem like a poison if we're dead set on going the way of destruction. Not too many things will scare somebody more than the remedy to your situation. I'm going to say this again. The remedy, the fix the correction, the realignment that's needed in our life, that right there is a scary thing to people who's been on a path of destruction. Because most people, and I can't speak for everybody because I'm not everybody and I've not done any type of survey. You know, I read a lot of surveys throughout the week, and I always wonder, man, they'll say 98% of people believe this, and I'm like, man, they never asked me. Like, who are they? I've always wondered who they are. Where do these surveys come from, and how come I was never interviewed on this? Because I would have been, I would have at least kind of balanced the odds a little bit. Um, But I've never surveyed this, but I kind of believe in my heart that people that live a life that is destructive don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to be destructive. Most people, and Candice, you're the psychological point of view here, but I believe that most people become destructive trying to survive what they cannot explain. Let me say it again. I want to make sure we're getting this. Y'all getting this tonight already? Most people become destructive in their decision making because it is an attempt to survive what they cannot explain or even more are not willing to bear. The beauty of drugs is that it creates a scenario in your head that lessens the impact of the trauma that you're facing. So before you judge an addict, judge their pain. Because you may not know what they're trying to numb. And for some people that are judgmental and look at people like addicts and they say things like, I can't believe that they've wasted a life doing this. Some of us are not strong enough to even have endured anything that they've endured. There's people who commit suicide every day because they stepped into a world that they wasn't strong enough to manage. Not everybody can handle what you're going through. And so destruction is not something that people intentionally want to do. It's so critical to understand this point before we get into forgiveness because you need to understand what forgiveness is really all about. It's it's, it's very hard to forgive somebody if you think you are the reason why they're doing what they're doing. If you think that you are the target, you're mistaken. If you think the reason why so-and-so is, is, is uh, affecting your life for the worst, and you take it personally, you're missing what they're really dealing with. The truth is, everybody that's ever done you wrong has done themselves wrong for a lot longer. Listen to me now. Everybody that is doing us wrong has been living with the misery internally for a long time. It feels personal, but it's not personal. Can I teach tonight? It may feel personal to you and it may cause you to feel some type of way about what they've said or done to you. But you need to realize And it's been said 1,000 times, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. So we're going to deal with forgiveness here, and I want to get into Ephesians here real quick. So are you all ready? Let's let's read, P.T. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Let's stop there for a second. Look at that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others. Building up of others. Just turn to your and say, I love you. Oh man, we could do better than that. Come on, look at him and say, I need you. I love you. Edify, building one another up. What have I told you that building and edifying has more power to correct somebody? Than negative talking does. My wife put up a post yesterday or the day before yesterday. It didn't get as many likes as the funny ones that she puts up, because a lot of people are carnal. This post had more weight on it than anything that I've seen in a while. She talked about keeping it real. People talk about I keeps it real. No, you're just rude. And you don't know how to express your frustration. You just lack an ability to communicate what you're feeling. That's what you mean by keeping it real. You're just really rude and uneducated. People who are in tune with themselves know how to describe the frustration they're feeling towards another. And people who are wise that don't have words are wise enough to walk away from it until they do. Many of us have created relationships that are tense because of our inability to describe our frustration with keeping in mind that we still may love this individual. Come on now. So, Paul said, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. Woo! That it may benefit those who listen. Jeez. Jeez. And do not. I, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. This is where it gets going, y'all. Y'all ready? And do not grieve. Everybody say, and do not, do not grieve not the Holy Spirit. We're going to say that again. Come on, say, do not grieve, do not the, grieve. the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. I want to stop right there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I pray that this word gets past your ears and into your heart tonight. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit and get rid of all bitterness. Say it again. Do not grieve him. And get rid of bitterness. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Bitterness. What grieves the Holy Spirit's bitterness? Now, I'm going to give you the definition, the origin here, um, to the word grieve here. Actually, I wrote this down if you're taking notes. You might want to write this down. It literally comes from a Scottish term. So grieve comes from this word. The etymology here is rebe, reeve, R E E V E. Reeve, grieve, and is pronounced reeve, and it comes from a Scottish term. Watch this, y'all. It literally means to set order, or as one who would come into a community with authority. What would happen is the origin of the word to grieve, or to be a grievance, this is what happens. When the word was initially being used and towns were being developed and they was lawless. What would happen is a magistrate or a city council would begin to come in and they would vote and they would give an individual authority and the authority would be given to that individual and he would start making laws. You cannot do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And he would start organizing society. And the people that would want their own way of doing things, they would become rebels. They would call this authority a reeve or a grievance. They're grieving us. In other words, they're becoming a hindrance to us. I cannot live the way I wanted to do. You're putting an order in place and it's absolutely conflicting to my intentions. This is where the term comes from. So, to grieve the Holy Spirit, it makes complete sense because He is a God of order. In grieving the Holy Spirit, what you're really doing is you're stepping out of alignment from the plan that God's got for your life. You're stepping out of the will of the Father or the intention of the Father. See, the Holy Spirit. Is actually got a plan for you and he's trying to keep you connected to the things that God has done This is why every step of a righteous man. It's ordered by God your tomorrow already has a will for it You're not just waking up tomorrow. There are specific things that you're meant to do tomorrow Your destiny isn't three years down the road. It's one minute It's two seconds your destiny is, is the next moment, the next breath, the next minute. It's ordered by the Lord. And every step you take, if it is in the will of God, is going to come into fruition just like God wanted it to come into play. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we are stepping out of the order of God. And we're doing it our way through our reasoning. This is why scripture says, lean not to your own understanding. I, this is what we miss on this, baby. It's, he didn't say think. Not. He said, don't lean on it. Like, don't put all your weight on it. You don't lean on nothing that you don't think is stable. There is a pride that comes into play. If you think your your own way of thinking is that stable, it's because it's supported by pride. And you lean into it, you're putting your weight on it. Your way of thinking is... This is valuable. This is dependable. He said, lean not to your own understanding. But acknowledge me in all my ways. Isn't that something? Can I teach tonight? God's remedy for people who lean to their understanding, own understanding, isn't lean to my understanding. It's acknowledge me in my ways. (laughs) Did you get this? I I, I don't know if we caught that one. In other words, we're in error leaning to our way of thinking. God didn't come and say, let me fix it. Let me give you my way of thinking. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Just acknowledge me in my ways. Why does that matter? Because some of us aren't ready for his way of thinking until we've walked in his ways. His thinking requires space. And in order to get that to us, he has to free up some things. And that happens by acknowledging him in all of his ways. The more you know about Jesus, the more you observe Jesus, the more that you get in contact with Jesus, the more you want to follow him. The more you follow him, the more you think like him. Come on. So this is why Peter had to cuss at the, at the denial of Christ. They said, you was a disciple. He said, no, I, yeah, I seen you with him. You, you talk like him. So he had to start cussing. He had to use a language he never heard the master use just to disguise himself. Peter couldn't even deny Christ without sounding like him. Man. The Spirit is always trying to work from the Father's intentions. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit is always trying to work from the Father's intentions for your life. Bitterness. I was talking to my wife before church. I've been in the people business over 20 years now. And I've counseled I don't know how many hundreds of people. And one of the scariest things to see in an individual is a bitter heart. A person who is bitter is flirting with the most demonic tool in hell. It's flirting with the most demonic tool in hell. My wife had we was talking about some things I was teaching tonight. She had brought up Bill Johnson, so I briefly went and listened to some things she said. I respect his ministry. Bill Johnson, who's also been in the people business for even longer than me, and he said, he said, if I can if I can quote him. He said, as it relates to the demonic activity in the demonic realm. He said, there's three things. He said, when you look at somebody who's possessed by a devil. He said, there's three things that I always see that lead to that expression, to that that situation. He said, number one. He said, drugs. When somebody starts to get on drugs, especially those who mess with your mind, hallucinogenic type stuff, Right. He said they always get weird. They always get whacked out. It's a gateway to a different world. They end up in a mess. He said number two is pornography. He said when he's dealing with people who are like possessed or oppressed by demonic forces. He said he's dealt with these three conditions the most. Number two was pornography. He said especially excessive pornography and lust. The problem with it is it never ends. It continues to grow, 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 grow and t- it never gets us fixed. And so you got to keep doing more and more and more and more. Like we look at people who do really nasty stuff, stuff that we would say, oh, my God, how did they get there? Well, they got there by just entertaining something small years ago, and they just never they never stopped doing it. And it grows. Sin grows. It's enticing when you think you can control it. And then you lie to yourself saying, I can stop whenever. No, you can't. You become what you behold. That's why John tells us to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Look at him, stare at him, gaze at him. Right? And the third one was bitterness. He said in his, and Bill Johnson has a strong deliverance ministry. And he said he deals with people who struggle with deep bitterness. And as he has begun to uh, pray deliverance over their life, it typically comes out, that demon, and it's rooted in bitterness. Anybody know anybody bitter? How about this? You ever struggle with bitterness? It's a gateway. It's a gateway to another world if it's entertained too long. There's things in the kingdom that you're allowed to, You're allowed to experience, but not marry. Let me say this again. There is a place in the kingdom. Man, I I feel like I got half of y'all right now. This is too too significant. We we need to be locked in here. Because this stuff right here will change your life if you get it. There is things in the kingdom that Father allowed, like frustration. You're allowed to be frustrated, just not disobedient. That's what patience is, by the way. You're allowed to be frustrated, you're allowed to be frustrated and still be patient. You just can't be disobedient. Job was certainly frustrated. He wrote a whole book on it. He just wasn't disobedient. And that's why the Bible called him patient, the patience of Job. Come on, somebody. It's alright. God allows you to have those moments where you look up in the sky and say, What are you doing? Where are you at? He he don't mind that. He's a father. He gets it. He understands we're doing our best. Anybody ever been in that moment? Right? But you can't stay there. He allows you to look at it. To express it for a moment. There's grace for it for a moment. You look at it. You deal with it. You confront it. Then you turn from it. If you stay there too long, Some of us say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I'm bitter for a reason. I understand. The problem is you did not go through it. The problem is you did not grow through it. You're still in the middle of it. You're still living 20 years ago. It's been 10 years and you're still there. It's been five years and you're still stuck there at what they did to you. The only one that's getting hurt at this point is you. You're bitter. Everybody else has moved on but you. Pastor, well, God took, God did this and God did that and why do he allow this stuff? Listen, God is God. He's going to do what he does and his ways are beyond our understanding. We are still in human form trying to understand the sovereignty of the father. We're not going to be able to put in our three pound mind all of heaven and everything he's doing. It's just not going to happen. The reason the science says, you know, the universe, they say it's expanding, it's growing why? Because it's still trying to describe its creator. It's simple. Creation isn't big enough to describe him. It has to grow. It's really not that hard. God can only be described in more. So what's happening here is God will allow you to look at something for a season, but then listen, then he's going to say, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll let you say what you wanted to say. You said it. You looked at it. You confront it. Now turn. If you stay there too long, it's all right to say, why did that do? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Whatever you want. It's OK. But don't stay there too long because your offense, if married to it, will turn into bitterness, will open up a gateway and develop you to be somebody you never was meant to be. People who are bitter are people who have flirted with the situation without being healed or led by the spirit too long. This is why it's important, man. This is meat tonight, y'all. I know, I know everybody ain't jumping like they was last week, but I'm telling you right now, this is heavy stuff. Put this down if you're taking notes. The forgiveness keeps us from hindering the healing process God is doing in others. Forgiveness isn't about the person that hurt you. It's about you. Forgiveness isn't releasing them. It's releasing you from what they did to you. Now, notice my verbiage. Forgiveness keeps us from hindering the healing process, God's got them in. Come here, Chantel, just stand up here real quick. If I did Chantel wrong, and she has a forgiveness issue with me, right? It doesn't matter if I come up and say, Chantel, I'm very sorry, blah, 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 blah. As a matter of fact, some people that do us wrong, they ain't trying to say sorry to you. Because here's what's crazy. I, I watched an interview today. Watch this, uh, baby. I did an interview. Uh, I watched the interview today on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. Sometimes I can tolerate him. Sometimes I can't. But he was interviewing a uh, a soldier who, in 2009, uh, I can't remember. It's in American history, but there was a in in the Afghanistan war. He had ended up having to kill another soldier, and he said this guy was Islamic, and he said he was down, ready to shoot because a machine gun was trying to kill him. So he was he was down like this, trying to find a guy and he said another islamic guy came up behind him and he went to stab him because the guy had dropped his gun so the soldier american soldier fell down and he went to shoot the guy he did shoot him in the leg but when he shot him in the leg he panicked because this american soldiers never killed nobody he said i've trained my whole life for it he said there's no way to train for the real thing And he panicked because he's never killed a guy. So he ended up doing something with a gun and shot the guy in the leg. The guy jumped on top of him and he was trying to choke him and strangle him and kill him. And he said for about 20 seconds, he could not breathe. He thought he was going to die. And he said he looked over and he seen a rock and, and the American soldier grabbed the rock and he started hitting the guy in the head. The guy fell off and he's hitting the guy in the head. He said it's kill or be killed in this scenario. And Joe, Joe Rogan said, my God. And he said, yeah, man. He said, uh. Here's the biggest thing about it. He said, I looked at his eyes, he said, and I could see defeat in his eyes. He said, it's very sobering to look at another man that has accepted it's over. There's nothing I can do for me. I just got to die. He said, but here's the kicker. He said, both of us thought we was fighting for the right thing. Yo, it rocked me that both sides of the story. Bitterness always has a reason for it. Don't look at people who have done you wrong and think, oh, they're wrong in your right. There's always two sides to the story. And there's a reason why they're defending themselves the way they're defending themselves. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's two sides to this story. And when the soldier said that, he said, I cannot get his face. It's been, it's been over a decade. I can't get this man's face out of my head. And when I go to sleep at night, all I see is this man's head, with, 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 as I'm bashing his head in, with a rock. And I'm thinking, this man probably had a family that his kids would never see again. This man was probably just a soldier in somebody else's. You know, that's all war is. It's not a conflict of nations. It's a conflict of governments. That's really what it is for the most case. It could be even two men. A lot of wars have been fought because two men. If you study the, 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 the history of Troy, two nations come together, the Greeks and the Trojans, and they're fighting against each other simply because one single person in the Troy army took one Greek wife. Why couldn't they just fight it out? Instead, thousands died. wasn't their fight. They were just doing what they were told to do. They both believe the right. They both believe that the right. And that's the scary thing about this. I'm trying to open you up to see this differently as it relates to forgiveness. It's not as simple as they did me wrong. They owe me an apology. You don't know what they're thinking and how they're interpreting what's going on on their side of things. Forgiveness isn't even about that. It's not even about them at all. It's strictly about you. Freeing yourself to grow through something rather than go through it. I'm trying to rush this, I'm going to have to make this a series. Bitterness happens. You know what bitterness is? It's the spirit of murder in diapers. That's what bitterness is. It's the spirit of murder in diapers. Not everybody that's bitter murders, but everybody that murders is bitter. At some point, they have come in contact with something that causes them to be okay with taking somebody else's life. And it's usually because at some point in their traumatic experience, they feel that their life was impacted in such a negative way that only a life pays for a life. However they, they like a, the, the psyche of a person. But bitterness, if not dealt with, will become something as strong as murder. Some of you say, man, I would never murder nobody. Keep flirting with bitterness. You don't know what you'll become if you don't change what you fellowship with. My God. I knew this would be hard tonight. This ain't the type that gets everybody up jumping. But you don't know what you'll become if you do not change what you fellowship with. I mean, some of us right now have become numb just the little stuff we've been going through. Some of y'all right now are so desensitized spiritually just because of your lack of consistent fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The only fellowship some of us get is when we show up to V.C. at 7 o'clock on Saturday nights. How you expect to be who God has called you to be, When there's nothing consistent about your spiritual walk. I promise I love y'all. But this is truth. We got to fellowship with the right things or we're going to become what we don't want to be. Let me give you this this last two points. I promise I'm, I'm done. Put this down if you're taking notes. Bitterness is how we punish ourselves for other people's sin. Bitterness is how we punish ourselves for other people's sin. Bitter people have a hard time, if not impossible time, perceiving things correctly. Why am I teaching on bitterness? Because it is the one element that stops us from forgiving. Or release, Maybe we should stop calling it forgiving to him. Maybe it should be releasing. Maybe we should start changing the name of it. I release you. But to what? Not the wind. I release you to the Father's intentions. I'm no longer standing in your way. I'm no longer your enemy. I release you. I release you to the Father's process. I'm not standing in the way of this no more. I am now going to become an advocate for what God is doing in you. Man, this is good teaching. Thank you for that, son. I release you to the Father's intentions. Can you say amen to that? Look at here. Go real quick to Exodus 22. We're going to wait until the Harley gang gets out of here. Look at here. This is something that I thought was significant, and I'm, I'll have more time to deal with it next week. But, And this is kind of messed up. <laughs> ancient rabbis ancient rabbis uh would make women so back they stopped this around the 1st century um most people agree but in in ancient rabbinical teachings what would happen is if a woman was caught in the uh or if a woman was not caught but accused in the uh of adultery cheating on her husband and there was nobody there to see it to verify that it happened what the ancient priests would do the ancient rabbis would do is they would create they would create a potion that they would call bitter water okay and it was it was a mix of what they would call holy water and then what they would call they would put like some form of dirt, like a certain specific type of dirt, and they would mix it. And then they would make the woman uh, drink this bitter water. And what the bitter water would do is it would make her belly literally blow up, like get extremely, extremely big. And a lot of times it would make her organs fail. And the reason they did this is because they was not there to know whether she did it or did not do it. And so what they would do is they'd put her in the hands of the God. And they say, if she survives this, she's innocent. If she survives it, she's innocent. If she doesn't survive it, then she's guilty. And obviously death is the result. But it would be bitter water that they would have to drink. And this is what stuck out to me about this. Isn't that messed up though? Number one stuck out that, and watch this, y'all, because the Holy Spirit, help me here. Notice that the bitter water was served to her by her leaders. Point number one, that it was the bitter water, the thing that caused her to experience bitterness was given to her by those who were supposed to be leaders. How many people do you know that are running from church because of what leaders did? Number one. Number two, this was a a point that I thought was encouraging. Her not dying was proof that God was with her. If she lived through the process, they would chalk that up to God must be with her so she's innocent. I find it almost beautiful that in some cases, so when you look at this scenario, you see a woman that may be innocent. She drinks of this, this potion that's literally meant to kill her. It probably has nothing to do with God at all. You know, people in the religious world can be superstitious. And they got a drink and essentially poison. And if she lives, then they're going to say on one hand that God must be with her, so she must be innocent. But this is the beauty of this, is that those of us, and this is symbolic to the bitterness that we, that we are all accustomed. At some point, something in your life, something in my life was an opportunity for us to become bitter if we did not follow the steps that the Father is telling us to follow. Amen? Can you, can you say amen to that? This is the beauty of it, that she drank of something that was meant to kill her, but she survived it, and it was proof that God was with her. I'm trying to get you to see that you're still here, and it's proof that God is with you. You went through the thing that you went through, the hell that you went through. You've drunk of that cup. You're still here, and it's proof that God is with you. Amen, somebody. Here's the other thing in Exodus. Last point, I promise you, you know, I always got three points. Just put this down real quick. Bitterness is protected by our trust issues. Your bitterness is protected by your trust issues. The only way to get to your bitterness to heal the thing that got you bitter is to deal with the trust issues that you have. If you don't deal with the trust issues that you have, then you're never, ever going to be able to tap into the source of your bitterness. Your healing is going to be postponed until you deal with those two things. You're going to be bitter. It doesn't matter how much you come up here and cry and shout and dance and testify and do all the stuff that you do in church. None of that matters until you begin to submit your heart back to the Father. The other thing that I forgot to mention about the process that the woman, when she would stand before the priest and they would give her the bitter cup, you know that the priest would actually make her let down her hair and then they would actually take her, her garment and pull it down almost to where her, her, her chest was showing. And the reason they would do that is because they did not want to try her without her heart being exposed. Ooh, because it's impossible to deal with this without the heart getting involved. Boy, I feel like I'm plowing tonight. Exodus twenty-two twenty-four. Watch this. It says Moses led Israel from the Red Sea onto the wilderness of shore. They traveled three days through the wilderness without finding any water. They got to Marah, but they couldn't drink the water at Marah. Why? Because it was bitter. That's what they called the place Marah. It literally means bitter. And the people complained to Moses. So, what are we supposed to drink? In other words, here's what happened. They literally, and watch this, this is my closing point. I need I, I, we got to get this. They literally just come up out of the Red Sea. They came out of the Red Sea. Miracle. Then God leads them three days in the journey, in the wilderness. We're talking about hot desert, scorching sand, y'all. Right? Anybody going to be thirsty? God delivers them from one place. I don't know this saying anything to anybody. Have you ever had victory at one moment, only to be led for the next season to where you feel like, man, where are you at now? Victory here, but I don't know where you're at now. God literally does a miracle here. Kills the enemies in the Red Sea, then leads them on a path to where now they're about to die of thirst. God leads them to a place that has water. It's enticing because it's the one thing that they need only to get there and realize they can't drink it. They get to a resource. That is the very picture of what they need in order to survive. And they can't drink it. Why? Because it was bitter. God tells Moses in the next verse. He says. Stand over the. Stand over the river. Grab a tree. You see that tree? Grab it. Throw it into the river. And that which is bitter will become sweet. What is it symbolic of? He says, grab the tree. See, I got to teach y'all how to see this stuff revelatory wise. We got to grow in this. He stands over a bitter river. It's Old Testament. He says, grab the tree and throw it in the river. What is the tree symbolic of? The cross. It's symbolic of the cross. He's saying, add one ingredient to your bitterness. And that which looks like It can't be a resource becomes a resource that I use to sustain you. (laughs) He leads you to a place that looks like an answer that you cannot use until you add one more ingredient. The cross. You get the cross in the middle of your trial and that which was bitter will turn to sweet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That which was bitter will turn to sweet. That which looked like a resource that could not be used becomes the very thing that sustains you for the next journey that God has for you. All you got to do is add the cross. Why? What is the cross? You're adding to the mix. I deny myself. Take up my cross and follow him. That is the ingredients of the cross. When you put the cross in your situation, you stop thinking about yourself it's not about you. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did. It's not about you. You don't even know what they did. You know, All you know, the only information you have about so-and-so is how it affected you. That's all you know. You don't know why they did what you did. You don't know how long they've been tormented. You don't know any of the stuff that they're going through. You don't know how the devil been riding them. You don't know how their mother failed them. You don't know how their father abandoned them. You don't know none of the story other than how it affected you. How dare you hold them at a place to where you're demanding that they apologize to you when they've been tormenting themselves for years? It's not about you. I love how Jesus said, forgive your enemies. Notice he never said, forgive my enemies. When we mature to a place in Christ, it's no longer our enemies. You're not my enemy. I release you to the intentions of the Father tonight. I will no longer allow what you have done to me to keep me in a prison that is stopping me from growing. I release you.